and gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat. I will be your host. We are here with producer Kyle, and we are also here with former Islanders goalie and current host of Han Humpty on ESPN New York Radio, Rick DiPietro. Hi, Rick. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for being here. So you must be having a blast right now, and I want to preface that a little bit for our listeners, because this is the first time that we've ever talked hockey on this podcast. So we want to talk a little bit about the Islanders before we get into all the stuff we want to talk about. So really quick, a recap. Islanders win four straight Stanley Cups in the 80s. They struggle for a while. And then more recently, you know, qualifying for the postseason in three of the last four seasons and now winning their first playoff series in 23 years. This must be amazing for you. Well, it's amazing. And it's the reason that I signed on with the Islanders for as long as I did. And I think people will look at the you know the contract I signed and said, of course he's happy. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of years. But part of that was because I knew what was coming. I knew the fact that John Tavares, Kyle Poso, Franz Nielsen, all these guys were eventually going to blossom into what they are now. And we'd have a team that would be a team that could contend for a Stanley Cup every single year. And right now you're seeing an Islanders team and a captain in John Tavares that said enough is enough. We're getting past the first round. If it's me, I'm going to make sure it happens. And that's exactly what he did, especially in that game six where he took over and gets the game winner in the second OT. You told someone that you jumped into the arms of a Barclays Center security guard when he scored that goal. What was going through your head? I have no idea. I was sitting <laughs> by the glass, and I had to come down. I originally missed every overtime at 10, 10 minutes left in the overtime. They scraped the ice, and we're supposed to do a hit from the glass, and I forgot, kind of forgot. That was superstitious because they hadn't scored yet, and I was up at my seat. So I'm like, I'm not leaving my seat until this is over. Uh-huh. And they finally forced me to come down. And as I walked down by the glass, they scored the goal. Uh-huh. And I could see it happening because John had taken the shot, and Luongo was out of the net. And I was like, here it is, here it is. And I looked around. I had no one to hug. And I saw the security <laughs> guard. I was like, all right, and jumped in his arms. And it was crazy because we were talking about how the Barclays is a new building, and a lot of Islanders fans were upset that it's not the Nassau Coliseum, so it needed that moment. Yeah. And when you walked around that building, the amount of high fives, Every security guard, every single security guard, chest bumping fans, high five. And so it was that moment. It was just everyone was so overcome with the fact that you couldn't believe it. I mean, you couldn't believe that it finally happened. And it was uh, it was definitely a special moment. So let's get a little bit into your career, which will explain a lot of this Islanders love and your involvement with the team. Drafted number one overall in the 2000 NHL draft by the Islanders coming out of BU, which then prompted the Islanders to trade Roberto Luongo to the Panthers, a goalie that they had signed just one year earlier. What did they tell you after you were drafted about what your role would be? would be with the organization. Well, I was surprised. And it was funny, during the whole interview process, the Islanders were a team because I knew a guy on the team named Tim Conley. He was a high draft pick for them, and we had played together uh, when we were younger. I was like, could you imagine? I'm from Boston. It's a close ride. Family, friends could all come watch, and I would actually know someone on the team. And at the time, we're like, they have Roberto Luongo. They have Kevin Weeks. There's no chance this is happening. So it's going to either be Atlanta or Minnesota. And then all of a sudden, and this is the funny part of the story, is we have a combine, and now we're talking about the NFL and the draft, and in their combine, it's like cattle. It's a piece of meat. They take your shirt off. You ride a bike. You jump. And it was actually my grip strength. It was a grip strength test. They had you, you had grab this thing, squeeze it, and my hand was sweaty, so it slipped off the grip strength thing, and I was pissed. I was like, I'm better than that. I can squeeze this thing harder. And because of that, Mike Milbury said, I like how competitive he is. So we're going to take him. We're going to draft him and trade Roberto Luongo. And now, in hindsight, I actually said it to Roberto Luongo. I said, you should actually give me a gift or something. I got you traded to Florida. You're in Miami. <laughs> you met your wife. You have a restaurant. I mean, you did pretty good for yourself. And um, no, it was amazing. It was one of those days I'll never forget it. We were in Calgary. Um, I couldn't eat the, the morning before. I'm lucky I didn't wear my suit because I had eggs and yogurt all over. I just was so nervous. But family was there. So it was, it was great. And I was lucky enough to spend my whole career there. Did you feel any pressure to perform right away because you were the guy? Yeah, it was tough, especially as a young kid. And I'll never forget my first training camp. I got hurt and ended up getting sent to um, 
Chicago, the Chicago Wolves, and everyone on the team was, you know, over 30, married, kids. So I'm a 19-year-old kid by myself. I'm eating bags of lettuce and tuna fish out of a can to try to survive. But it was tough to adjust. But once I got to the NHL and got a chance to, uh, you know, to play for the team, it was weird. I'll never forget I'm at the red line stretching, and I look over, and it's Curtis Joseph, who I grew up idolizing. And I'm like, what do I do here? Do I talk to him? Do I ask him for his autograph? This is weird. And eventually, uh, you know, started to feel comfortable. But it was always something I wanted to do. And, you know, getting a chance to to finally do it was uh, and do it for so long was amazing. But you grew up in Boston, right? Yeah. And did you idolize all the Boston athletes when you were growing up? I liked Andy Moog, who played for Boston. I actually, the story goes, I sent letters. My mother said, you should send letters to all your favorite goalies and maybe they'll send you an autograph. So I sent letters to every single goalie. You're my favorite. Could you please sign something? And now looking back, I probably should have sent them something to sign because when people don't send you things to sign, it's it, not as easy to get them stuff. So right. you have to go get them pictures and cards and everything. Yeah. Ron Hexel was the only guy that sent me something back. He sent wow. me back a card signed and a little letter. And from that day forward, I was like, Ron Hexel is my idol. Got a chance to meet him. It was pretty cool. And uh, I think that's why I handled the puck so much is because Ron Hextall handled the puck so much. Got uh-huh. me in a lot of trouble, but definitely made my job more fun. So you gained some experience in your first season, but then you were sent down. Did you, with your personality, have any issues getting sent down as a young guy, or did you take that, you know, as I'm going to go get experience and then come back and do my job? Well, it was tough, and it was tough for this reason. Was that summer um, after my first year, I was up for probably three quarters of the season, and, and the conversation I had with the general manager was, all right, it's going to be you and Gar Snow. You guys will split time. You'll learn from him. You'll be in the NHL, and then all of a sudden, push came to shove. They pick up Chris Osgood, and I got sent down. And at first, I was upset because my plan was to be in the NHL. You want to be in the NHL. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because for some reason, when you're in in the minor leagues, you can't recreate the kind of team chemistry that you have down there. Everyone's single. You're staying at Holiday Inn Expresses and La Quintas and all these weird hotels on a bus for eight hours, and it just brings you together. Everything you do is with those guys. So I would look at that as probably my most enjoyable year of professional hockey Mm -hmm. and something when you get to the NHL, you try. I mean, you've been in in a clubhouse before. It's just... It's not the same. Guys are married. Guys have kids. It's about money. Down there, it's just it's about the guys. It's about hanging out, going to movies, dinner, and everything else. So I enjoyed it. At first, I was pretty pissed off, but afterwards, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, it is interesting seeing the guys who have roomed together and spent so much time together down in the minors, and then when they come into the clubhouse, they're almost on opposite sides of the clubhouse, and like they're still friends, and they still do stuff together, but it's much more of a pro atmosphere. We're here for business. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, then you went to the Winter Olympics in 2006. We're skipping kind of all over the place, but no, we're fine. making like a gradual uh, um, progression. No, it was of like a career. highlight reel. It sounds better. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Uh, what was what were the Olympics like? The Olympics were amazing. Uh, I played in USA Hockey my entire life. I went to the U.S. program in Michigan, uh, the U.S. National Development Program. From that moment on, you know, you were always taught to represent your country and just to have the opportunity now. Um, I'm actually from the same town as Micah Rizzioni, who scored the game-winning goal against the Russians in the 1980 Olympics. So wow. call him America's guest, but he's always down the golf course, so I'd always hear the stories. So it was always like I couldn't imagine ever playing in the Olympics, and of all places, it was in Italy. So to get that opportunity, you know, we didn't medal, but I mean, it's something, I have my family there, some friends that I'll never, ever forget. Have you been, did you go to Europe before and do travel or is this your first time there or? No, I had been to Europe before, but never traveled. Like we can go for a tournament. It's, you go to your room, to the rink, back to your room and that's pretty much it. So this mm-hmm. was, this was kind of the same. I felt, I didn't, I was jealous because my parents would come see me afterwards. We went to this winery, we had this dinner and I'm like, oh, I had, you know, some <laughs> pasta in the village it wasn't very good but we had free mcdonald's that was the best part the olympics you get free mcdonald's all you can eat mcdonald's whenever you want it what's the olympic village like is it like a big sexcapade like everyone says 
Um, I can neither confirm nor deny, but <laughs> it is uh, once you see athletes eliminated or once their competitions are over, it definitely becomes much more social. Uh-huh. We had a in a sexual way. In a sexual, in a uh, there's a lot of uh, partying that goes on. I mean, it is. It's like back. You're pretty much in dorm rooms and you're back in college. But I'll never forget the last night we were there. We had a party. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but it was one of the guys I grew up idolizing. We were at a, a bar next door to the Olympics, and as we're there, this was like 11 a.m. on. We're sitting there having lunch, having a couple beers, and then all of a sudden he gets on his cell phone and he makes a phone call, and I'm like, "Hell is he calling? We're in Italy." Wayne Gretzky walks in. Oh, shit. So now I'm having beers with Wayne Gretzky, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, everyone kind of thinks you're funny, so make sure if you do tell a story, it's Wayne Gretzky, make sure it's the best story you ever told in your life. So I'm going through my list of stories, and I told him a story. He laughed. I was like, this is the coolest day ever. What'd you tell him? Um, I don't know if I can repeat it on the air. It was probably it was a dirtier story that had to do with something we did on the road, and he thought it was hilarious. And then two hours later, the guy I was with that I idolized had everyone in the bar taking shots out of his boot. So we're taking boot <laughs> shots. It was an absolute nightmare. I ended up having to wheel him through the Olympic Village. It was great. Is there anyone cooler to drink with? Than, have you drank with anyone cooler than Gretzky so far? Um, have I drank with anyone cooler than Gretzky? I'd say the person, the coolest person I probably ever... All right, I'll tell you this quick story. So this is this is the coolest thing I've ever done probably is we're at the World Cup of Hockey and we're in, I think it was Columbus or Minnesota, Chris Chelios, the coolest guy you ever met in your life. Like everything this guy does is cool. The Greek God, we, we call him the Greek God and he can party with the best of them. So we're sitting there having a couple of drinks, Asked me, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I don't know. I'll wake up, have breakfast, and that that's it. We have the day off. I wake up. He calls me. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go get breakfast. He goes, get your clothes on. We're leaving. I said, where are we going? Drives us to the airport, private jet. We go to Kid Rock's, Kid Rock's concert. At Kid Rock's concert, in his dressing room, we pick the songs. From there, we go to his house, party with Kid Rock, private jet back, and then we have practice the next day. Wow. It was unbelievable. How did you could- make it through practice after all that? It wasn't. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. Are you a big Kid, Kid Rock fan? I did like Kid Rock, yeah, but it was even cool. I mean, I'll never forget. I walked. I mean, we had a couple beers already, and he's in the bathroom and he's flat ironing his own hair. <laughs> and I'm like, really? You flat iron your own hair? You're a rock star. He's like, well, how do you think it gets this straight? I was like, I don't know. You have people that do it. I don't know. You flat ironed it. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. So the Olympics were in February, and then September of that same year, you sign a 15-year, $67.5 million contract. How old are you at this point? How old was I at that point? 2006, I was 25. 25. They say here is $60 million. Um, what, what happened? What did you do with that money? What was your big purchase? How did you not just go insane? Yeah, how did I not pull an MC Hammer and just spend it all? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Luckily for me, um, I have great parents. My dad was tremendous when I signed the deal. Um, good investments and everything else, but I bought my dad a house and then obviously my mother a car and and things like that, but I didn't really go crazy. I bought myself a house. Um, I was just really, honestly, it wasn't even about the money. I was happy that I had the stability that I was going to be with the same team for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And you know, in New York, sometimes when you sign contracts like that, it's not, it's not necessarily the best thing if, if you don't perform or you get injured. But I I mean, I wouldn't, if if I could go back and and do it over again, I would, I mean, there's no way I don't sign that deal every time. Yeah. Is that where you felt like you made it or was it more of the draft or what point did you feel like this is it? I've made it in New York or, you know, just in the professional hockey league. Uh, I think the Olympics were a big step. I I think that making the all-star team uh, was a big step. I I don't know. You know what? I never really felt like I achieved what I wanted to achieve. I always thought that I would win a Stanley Cup as an Islander. And I tell people all the time that, you could take all the money I made, everything. I mean, I'd give my leg whatever you want for a Stanley Cup because that's what the goal was. That's what I always dreamed I would do, and it would be Stanley Cup. You know, your number would be retired, and you'd be remembered as an Islander for life, and it didn't work out that way, but 
it's nice now that I'm covering the team and it's, you know, to actually be focused on what's going on, friends with the guys, and I'm really happy for them and it's nice to be a part of it. So we haven't talked about hockey much on this podcast, but I'm a huge hockey fan when we go see it live. I think it's one of the best sports to see live. But for me, goalies in general are the toughest athletes in all of sports because you're wearing gear, but you're still voluntarily deciding to stand in front of a net and get frozen discs of rubber chucked at your face at 100 miles an hour. So, I mean, the concept is bizarre to me. So my question is, are you a goalie because you're crazy or are you crazy because you're a goalie? I think they go hand in hand. I don't know why I'm a goalie. All I know is that when I started skating, my mother put me in figure skates. I like skating. And then for some reason, when you watch the videos of me skating as a forward, I end up in the net every time. And then from there on, it was just equipment. I mean, I was four years old. I had all the equipment. I'm in front of my, I'm in front of my mother's stove, dressed up as a goalie, trying to make saves. Uh And it just, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you why. If you knew me, you'd know my personality was one where I like to be in control of everything. And as a goalie, you're in control of nothing. If you can't stop a puck, you're useless. There's yeah. nothing you can do. You can't hit someone, fight. Well, I tried to fight, but you, you really... <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> it's a tough... I mean, it, it's a tough position, and you can see... I mean, your favorite team is the Capitals. Hopi is probably one of those guys, like, you watch him before a game and how intense he is, that it's probably he's he's crazy and plays goalie. Okay, so it's a little of both. A little bit of both. You also had a slew of injuries in your career, and, I mean, there's a laundry list here. Where Where should we start? I mean, let's start with the concussions, because those are very serious, obviously. Against the Canadians, then the Rangers. I mean, we can we can keep going. What, what was your first injury that you were like, wow, this feels like what, when people describe injuries, this is what a professional athlete getting injured feels like? Uh, the concussions, you know what's funny, and we talk about this on our radio show all the time, and I think everyone talks about it as the CT and everything else, is that as an athlete, you know, you're, you make your money mostly for, as a goalie, it's your, I mean, your explosiveness, your flexibility, your ability to move, to go up, go down. And that has to do more with your legs, your knees and things like that. And whenever you ask a football player, would you rather have your ACL blown out or a concussion? They always say concussion because I can come back from a concussion in less time than my knee. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to affect how fast I am or anything else. So you never really thought concussions were that big a deal. You figured you get concussion, go through a couple tests, take a couple days off and you'd be back. My first concussion in Montreal, dove out to poke check a puck, guy kneed me in the head. I was essentially out, don't remember going to the doctor, came back, rushed back because, I mean, the weird part of a concussion is that they tell you how you feel. Are you nauseous? Are you dizzy? Um, Does light affect you? Does sound affect you? Are you irritable? And I think as an athlete, you can kind of, you can kind of talk yourself into that you feel all right. Like maybe I ate something I didn't agree with me or this noise always bothers me and you come back. I got hit in the head again, get post-concussion syndrome for a couple months. And then at that point, I let my wife do all the talking for me. I, the doctor would ask me questions. I'd say no. She'd be like, what do you mean no? You just yelled at me two minutes ago. Of course you're irritable. Um, so, yeah, that was the first taste of, you know, God forbid this happens again. This whole thing could be over. Does and, that, is it scary you looking back knowing that, you know, those blackout moments that you're talking about? Does that does it freak you out? Well, the scariest thing for me was the worst injury I've had is my that ended my career was my knee, but the scariest thing for me was when I got into that fight with Brent Johnson. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Is that so? Okay, so let's talk about that. Right. February 2011, you break your jaw in a rare goalie fight. I don't know that I've ever seen like a really serious goalie fight like that versus uh, Penguins goalie Brent Johnson. Who started it? How did this fight happen? And yeah, you obviously, like you said, you, it was freaky. Yeah, I started it. Um, I tried to fight Matt Cook. <laughs> Just owns it. I love it. That's fine. Well, the team was losing, and again, like I said, if you don't save the puck, you're useless. I wasn't having a bad game. I was having a pretty good game, but it just didn't feel like the team was going to win the game, and I hate the Penguins. Like I, I hate the Rangers, and I hate the Penguins, and Matt Cook was coming into the zone, and 
I was always a guy that liked to stand up for my teammates, and he was a pain in the ass, and he was always chippy with guys. And I had the perfect opportunity to come out of my net and kind of elbow him in the face. So I elbowed him in the face, and then I chased him into the corner like I was going to fight him because he's more my size. One of my guys grabs him, and I look over, and it's Brent Johnson. And I was like, all right, fine. I, I've fought numerous times, and I've been usually pretty good with fighting. Never really had – I'm not tooting my own horn, but I've been pretty good as far as I've never really lost a fight up to that point because mm-hmm. I'm a lefty, and I figure guys don't realize I'm a lefty. They've never fought a lefty before, so I'll be all right. So we square off, helmets off, center ice. I'm like, all right, this is my big moment. Unfortunately for me, and this is something I don't usually talk about that much, is that I was so hopped up on pain pills and medication to play in the game that mm-hmm. I was kind of like in a weird place where it was like kind of foggy, the whole thing. The whole experience was kind of foggy, which was probably better because it didn't hurt when he punched me in the face. So I assessed the fight as, all right, this guy's bigger than me. I don't think he knows I'm a lefty, or if he does know I'm a lefty, I grab his right arm. That way he only can hit me with his left because he's a righty. I can take as many lefts as he throws as long as I get my left off. Worked out perfect. I grabbed his right hand. Came back with my left, and in order for me to hit his face, because he's like 6'4", I, I had to jump up, and if you watch the highlight of the film, as my fist is about to make contact with his face, his he's got orangutan arms come out of nowhere, and he hits me with a club right in the face, out, broke my broke my orbital bone, and the best part of the whole story is I go in back, thought my teeth got knocked in because it, it severed the nerve in my face that connected my teeth, so I felt like my teeth were pressed in, so I went into the doctor, and he said, where does it hurt? I said, what do you mean, where does it hurt? My, I looked like Rocky Dennis. I was like, not so much here or here. I was like, right around here where my eyeball is hanging out. So they got it done. I got my face, uh, I got plates and plates inserted in my face and got that all fixed up. But when I went to the doctor to get assessed for a concussion, I went in. He said, you have a concussion. And he said, do you know how many concussions you have on record? I was like, I don't know, two or three. He goes, no, no, that's your eighth concussion. Wow. So that was kind of like the wake up moment. Like, well, this is kind of a big deal. Now these things are starting to add up. And now I'll find myself sometimes joking around, but not really joking around, where I'll just go dark. Like, I'll just be saying something and completely just wipe out what I thought. So, wow. It's kind of scary. That must be hard broadcasting, too. Sometimes, yeah, but, you know, Alan likes to talk quite a bit, so that helps, it helps out. <laughs> you just let him go. Yeah, I just have to get a couple yeah. words and then he takes over. You mentioned that you were on pain pills. What were you on pain pills for, your pre- your previous injuries to that? For my knees. Yeah, I, yeah. Had my, I had both knees done, my both hips done. Um, yeah, just a slew of... And once one thing went, it just was more, the less, the harder I tried not to get injured, the more I got injured. Did you ever feel like you were addicted to pain meds? No, not really. I mean, the only reason I did take them was because it was the only thing that could get me on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was taking them to practice to try to play games and then it's kind of a vicious cycle because, you know, kind of just masking all the stuff that's really bothering you and then everything else just goes haywire and it's a mess. Well, and you were injured for so much of your career and a lot of these guys, when I see when they're injured, rehab is a huge part of what you have to do. But what do you do in your downtime? Because you're not allowed to do too much, but you also have to make sure that you're keeping yourself occupied. It's the toughest time, man. And, and that was the funniest part because most people would criticize me. And if, I mean, I'm sure if you ask, people would say that he was hurt too much. And I get it. I mean, no one wants to be hurt. They always say the best ability is availability. And I get it. But it really is the worst feeling in sports. It's you're isolated from your teammates. You don't see them as much. You don't go on the road. They make it uncomfortable. They make you get get there early, leave late because they don't want you hanging around. They want you to try to get back as soon as you can. I mean, I made a lot of seven year old friends that, that are women that want to play tennis and hang out. But it's like every day, it's just more monotonous, just painful things that you have to do that you'd rather just play. It's easy. It's much easier to play uh-huh. and get ready for a game than it is to sit home and rehab all day. So to fight as a goalie, I would think that you would have an ego, right? Would you think that you have an ego when you played? Because uh, I was reading and AHL goaltending partner Wendell Young once told Sports Illustrated that you're going to need two seats on a plane, one in coach for your body and one in first class for your ego. 
Do yeah, you agree with that? No, I don't. I think I think my my college coach said the same thing. He said that uh, Rick thinks there's two great goalies and he's both of them. I think. I think if you why ask, do people say that about you? Well, because I like to talk, okay. and I think that a lot of the time my nervous energy is misconstrued for me just being cocky, especially at a young kid. Like Wendell Young was an older guy, and I came into a situation where it was new to me, but it wasn't. I mean, they were just teammates, so I just mm-hmm. approached it like I would college. I never forget in college. I think this is just how dumb I am. Is we win the bean pot, and I didn't realize that when you win the bean pot, like a Stanley Cup or whatever it is, that the older guys are supposed to touch the trophy first. So I'm just standing there, and someone passes me the trophy, and I hold the trophy, and guys like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "I don't know. You gave me the trophy. I don't know. I'm <laughs> supposed to hold it, right? No, no. You're supposed to wait in line. You're a freshman." And I didn't even know, so I didn't even realize going in. So I think it had a lot to do with that, and then the fact that I just like to talk, and you, a lot of young guys they expect to come in and just be quiet. And the way I get rid of my nervous energy is just to talk, 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 and. Being from Boston, you kind of learn how to have a bit of a sharp tongue. So if someone says something, you kind of could say nasty things back. Yeah. Uh, you do a pretty good job of that, though. That's one of my stronger uh, stronger suits, I think. Yeah. Um, so you haven't played since 2013. But you did point out in an article recently, and I don't know if this is true or not, that you're not officially retired. What does that mean? I haven't retired. I didn't file the papers. I just don't. I obviously can't play. I tried to come back and just couldn't do it. I mean, I was dragging my leg out to try to play. It's a weird thing for an athlete when you have to, I know, I've never was anywhere close to as good as Kobe Bryant, but you saw how Kobe Bryant went out. It's it's hard to have that conversation with yourself because what made you great was the thought that you could always find a way to get the job done. You'd always be great. And your mind tells you that you can do certain things, but your body just doesn't reciprocate what you think. Mm-hmm. So at some point you sit down and you go, because athletes, all athletes, and you'll find this, is that we all try to make excuses for poor play. Like we always like, as a goal, it's like, well, that was a deflection. That was a screen. I ate something that didn't agree with me, so I couldn't play good. Like, you always find reasons. When then, now you sit down and go, I just stink. I'm just not good anymore. Like, I can't do what I used to do. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where it was like, to go through all this, to go through, you know, have my ankles drained and, and all these different things just to play, to be not as good as I want to be. It's just not worth it. So I haven't filed the papers or anything yet. And we always joke on the radio that if somehow medicine catches up and I get like a fake leg or something, maybe I'll try it again. But as far as I'm concerned, I think I'm done. Do you have any plans to file those papers? No, I don't think I have to. I don't think there's any benefit to doing it. Okay. I don't think I'll ever come back. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't even know what the uh, the protocol is for that. Do you think it's easier to look back on your career now that you've had some success in, a, in an entirely second career that some people like myself struggle to get in just through this career and you're having success in it and now to be able to look back on your first career and assess you know, how you played and how your career went? Do you think it's easier? No, I don't think it's easier. I think it's actually when I sit back now and think about all the things I did or didn't do or trying to rush back from injuries, I have a lot of regret. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something about, uh, it scares me to death that my kid's going to grow up and he loves hockey already. I hadn't, I tried to not let him play hockey. He's only one years old, but for some reason, my mother bought him a mini hockey stick. And now every morning, every day, all he wants to do is shoot. And he actually shoots well. Like He actually has the form down. He knows how to shoot, hold the stick. I haven't taught him a thing he can stick handle. So I don't know if it's in his blood or whatever it is, but... My biggest, Sounds like it. He's one years old? One years old. It's amazing. He takes slap shots. He holds the finish. Oh it's God. crazy. But but my biggest fear, honestly, is that like I'll see lists or someone will tweet me a list like biggest busts in sports his- history or worst contracts, and my name always ends up on the list, which is fine. I understand it. I mean, I didn't ask to be chosen first overall. They did it. I had injuries and everything else, so I can live with that. But I always have the fear that my kid will grow up and people will bust his chops about the fact that your dad was a bust or something like that. So that still bothers me. And I think the reason that... It's nice I have a second career now doing this is because I love watching sports. I love talking sports. And, and you ask all those guys that say, you know, would you, if you knew 
that you were going to get CTE in 20 years, would you have not played football? Would you not have played hockey? I say, no, I, would, I wouldn't change anything because, like you said, like it's a struggle for you to get in this business. The only reason I'm in this business is because I was a professional athlete. So everything that I'm doing now is in direct correlation to what I did playing hockey. So it gives me all these different opportunities, gave me you know, great um, financial security and everything else. So I, I'm very fortunate and, and more fortunate not for the money now I'm making doing the radio. It's that I actually have something that I'm passionate about because a lot of these guys, I find it crazy. Like you'll have the Borland kid from San Francisco retires and, and I'm like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? There's nothing. What are you going to do that you can have that much passion for now? Like, well, it's not easy getting a job. I yeah. get those checks from Disney. They're not, they're not NHL checks. I mean, it's different. It's, I mean, it's hard work. It's a lot of hours, but I enjoy doing it. What were the upsides about playing besides being on the ice? Like a lot of these guys, you know, they have beautiful girls. They, you know, spend all their money in clubs. They rent all these cool cars. Were you ever uh, a guy who was into any, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get the memo that if it uh, if it flies, floats, or um, does other things, it's probably a depreciating asset. And <laughs> bought a lot of cars, made a lot of bad uh, choices with that. Um, I think the best, the thing I miss the most, honest to God, is and, and this sounds so cliche because cliche because every athlete says it is the camaraderie with the teammates. It mm-hmm. is being in the locker room, telling the stories, going out for drinks. I'll never forget my first couple of years with the veteran guys. They'd say, "Let's go to lunch." I didn't realize that lunch meant lunch, dinner, and drinks for the entire day. So you'd go out at noon and you'd be home 11.30 at night, just absolutely a wreck. But it was those days that were the most enjoyable, the, obviously flying on the charters and, and all that fun stuff. But um, it was a cool lifestyle. It, it really was. Any I mean, celebrities? Any celebrities that I dated? Sure. Um, no, not really. I mean, I tried to keep it... Uh, I met my wife pretty young, but um, you know, I, it was so, I was so focused on trying to make it Mm-hmm. And then when I signed the contract, I was so focused on making sure that I deserved the contract and I earned the contract that I kind of didn't. One of my biggest regrets, honestly, is because I was rehabbing from so many injuries, was not taking advantage of some of that stuff, like going out more with the guys, enjoying myself. I mean, I remember there were times on the road where guys would invite me to dinner. And I'd be like, no, I'm good. I get room service, go to bed early, and then wake up. Wow. Hoping that it would turn into great play on the ice. It didn't always work out that way. But, um, but you, you weren't know. strictly a milk drinker, right? No, absolutely not. Yeah. No, I had a good time. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I 100% had a good time. But um, no, but there's some guys that do it the right way. And there's some guys that are so uber focused on just making sure they're great at what they do, which is 100% acceptable. But there's a little piece of me that wishes I had more fun when I had the opportunity. But uh, I, I wouldn't trade you know, most of it for, for anything. Yeah, it's funny. We were just talking earlier about online dating, and my husband and I met really young and completely missed the boat on online dating. And we always say to each other, we're like, shit, we would clean house. Like, yo, this would be so fun, the online dating scene. We just totally missed out. And like, you know, you you trade one for the other, and that's totally fine. But we laugh about it all the time that, like, we just missed out on it. Do what Gronk does, just swipe right every time? Every time. Yeah, have a whole cruise, like, filled with bitches that you just want to date. <laughs> I had guys like that. We had the, some of the best guys at doing that would have, a, they'd have, like, a stable of women that they would have, and they would always have, but they, you had to be super committed to text messages, phone calls, and all these things, but he'd have. Oh, it was a second job. But he'd have 10, 12 people, and I'd be like, all right, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm going to go to Mexico this week. Who are you going with? Well, I'll go with this girl. And then in every city, and I was like, how do you keep this up? He's yeah. like, i got to keep make sure the stable is, is full of the women. I'm like, all right, yeah. if that's what you want to do. It's a, it's a lot of work. So now you're transitioning to being a broadcaster, and you get to cover the team. And it all started with a text message to Alan Hahn, which is what I read, suggesting you bring up a hockey point. You know, Alan talks some hockey. Then you started filling in on overnights, and it kind of went from there. Yeah, it was weird, man. I'm in the car on Saturday, and he had uh, been the reporter for Newsday with the Islanders when I got drafted, and we had a pretty good relationship. And I'm listening, and I hear him, Han Solo, and he starts talking about something that I 
I think I answered a question that he had asked or made a point of something he was talking about. And he's like, dude, I always thought you'd be good at this because you like to talk and you like sports. And uh-huh. I'm like, and I was hesitant because I just didn't know because of how my career ended with the Islanders, especially in New York, how people would be, uh, how receptive people would be to me. Because well, the fans here can be really brutal and the media too. It, it was tough because yeah. I know that Islanders fans were disappointed that I signed that deal and got hurt. And then Rangers fans just hate me because I played for the Islanders. So I'm like, right. all right, who's this it's fan? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, so, who's going to listen, right? Who's gonna, but, yeah. but the best part of this whole situation was, so I get, we start doing it and we were filling in for, uh, I think it was Dave Rothenberg we were filling in for. Yeah. And Alan made the joke second show in all right we're gonna keep doing this till they tell us to stop and we just kept doing it and doing it and then all of a sudden we got the the seven to ten and then from seven ten to now noon and three but um you know i'll get phone calls from rangers fans which was the coolest thing ever i hated you as a goalie i hated you when you played for the honors but i love you on the radio which is for me like the best compliment i could well because you never get. know how it's gonna go right like i hated you but and you're like wait, wait where are we going with this and then you know then it's a compliment but is, am i gonna get i hate you more now that would be bad right that would be bad what was your relationship like with the media when you were a player did you have guys that would write stuff about you i mean obviously with all the injuries people would get on you pretty hard anyone that you really you know anything that sticks out in your mind that somebody wrote about you you know, I mean, there was some bad stuff, obviously, and probably some stuff that I did deserve. But I think, you know, you get advice from a lot of different people. And it took me a while to realize that, I mean, I was a young kid, a lot of pressure. But you can kind of you can kind of dictate where an interview goes if you're smart about it. And I kind of wanted to be, I wasn't necessarily the Derek Jeter model where I couldn't just sit back and give you nothing and no emotion. I was kind of like, it's five minutes after a game, I'm pissed. You're going to tell that I'm pissed off. And mm-hmm. um I'll never forget, one of the reporters was sitting there, he asked me a stupid question, and it was after like five stupid questions, and I was always of the mindset, and I was told this young, is that when you're playing well, you don't need the media, and when you're not playing well, they're just going to kill you anyway, so it's it's weird to try to deal with that, because you know, a lot of people don't watch the game, so they'll read in the newspaper, especially for a goalie, that was a soft rebound, or that was a bad goal, so now they think you had a bad game, when these guys never played, Right. so there was some resentment there, but I'll never forget, I'm sitting there, a couple bad questions, another bad question, and he said something like real inflammatory because he knew it would get me going. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, are you trying to be an asshole right now? And I didn't realize I was on live television. They had a camera behind him. <laughs> oh, God. So I walk into the wise room afterwards and I'm already in a bad mood. And my wife looked at me and she's shaking my, her head. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? She goes, you just called the guy an asshole on television. I was like, I was on television? <laughs> she's like, yeah, you were on television, you dummy. I was like, yeah. So at that point, I was like, I got to watch what I say. Does your relationship with the media when you were a player affect how you talk about players now? No, I don't think so. I mean, I always give players the benefit of the doubt. I mean, mm-hmm. the only time I really get on players is things that they control. Um, you know, if a guy's just fat and out of shape or if a guy doesn't look like he's trying hard, like the whole Cespedes thing once in a while just drives me crazy because, you know, not only am I friends with Matt Harvey and it seems like every time Matt Harvey pitches, he decides he wants to play soccer with the baseball rather than catch it. It's like <laughs> controllable things like a catch you should make or, or something that you should do. I mean, I think with the radio show and what I try to do is kind of give you a player's perspective of what actually went on, what's being said. And if they need to be criticized, they need to be criticized. But I'll usually give them the benefit of the doubt. You have kind of a bizarre accent. I mean, it's a Bostonian accent. It's weird. It's weird. Very weird. I did I did for a minute think you were Canadian when like, you walked a in and A lot of people hello. think that, right? Yeah, I say organization. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Makes me sound like I know more hockey, doesn't it? You're the only person in New York radio that has a Boston accent. It's such a weird accent, though, and it's funny because when I talk to my buddies on the phone in Boston, I go back to being a Boston accent, but I live with so many Canadians that it's like Boston, Canadian, and just something else that goes into my, my, how I talk, and it's weird. Do people confuse you for everything? Yeah, people don't know where I'm from. Most people yeah. think I'm Canadian. When I go to Boston, people think I'm from Boston. Sometimes I just sound like, I don't know, I don't know like, my wife's even worse. My wife, people think my wife is from like Eastern Europe. <laughs> So we don't know where we're still trying to figure it out. (laughs) 
When you're broadcasting, you or the other day we noticed that you had this awesome camo suit on. Yeah. Where did you get that? And are you trying to pay homage to Clyde Craig Sager or Clyde or um, anyone? Or Don Cherry? Like Or Don Cherry, yeah. Well, this is how it started. So um at one point, I think it was last year, I was covering the Islanders and they were going through a just a bad stretch of games. So my wife had bought me, as a joke, to wear to a party, a loudmouth jacket, sport coat, you know, loudmouth golf. I had this crazy paisley jacket. I called it the Slump Buster. And I was sitting, my, I'm going through my closet looking for an outfit. I'm like, I need something to change up the luck of the team. So I wore the Slump Buster. And when I wore and I did the Chris Farley thing, we got to get this thing on the right track. <laughs> and they won. And from that moment on, you know how superstitious hockey fans are in general. They're like, dude, every time we have a bad game or a bad stretch, you got to wear the Slump Buster. I'm like, I can't wear the same coat every two weeks. So I got a new one, and then I got something new. Then I got a weird tie, and it seemed like every time I wore crazy stuff, we won. So the other day, I'm like, all right, I'm running out of stuff to wear. Like, Loudmouth hasn't sent me any new stuff yet. I don't have anything crazy enough to wear. Do you have a deal with them? They sent me some stuff, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm starting putting it into my head, and I got into an argument with someone the other day about this because they criticized the jacket. The reason I wore all black to the game was because it was going to be the Florida Panthers funeral. Their series was going to be over. Mm-hmm. And then I took it a step further. I had skull and crossbone socks. Like they were, it was death to the Florida Panthers. Did you night- show those on the air? Or people just had to assume people that saw you were they, yeah, well, they, they, yeah, During breaks, they still let me see, they make me show them the, my socks. Oh, okay, okay. I had camo shoes on. And then I decided because I said it was going to be a war, we had to shock and awe them, I would wear camo. <laughs> and I didn't know where you could get camo. So my wife is like on the computer. She's looking for camo stuff. She's like, you won't believe this. There's a Coles five minutes from here and they have a camo jacket. I was like, no, they don't. She's like, let's go. We went and it was like a shining ray of light on this camouflage jacket. And I'm looking, I'm like, is that a sport coat? Is that my size? Big 44 regular thing on it. Looked at it. I'm like, you didn't tell me this was a tuxedo jacket too. This is even better. <laughs> Look up 70% off. I was like, all right, done. We'll take it. And we did it. We got it. And people loved it or people hated it. Steve X said, Rick DiPietro's velvet jacket looks like something you'd pull out of a chest at those make-your-own-music videos with your friend's studio. <laughs> that's exactly what it looked like. Exactly. Well, that's the funny thing. People like, I actually, the guy, I, I got aggravated because I'm sitting there and I'm not in my jacket yet and I have black tie, black shirt. And he's like, wow, not a very creative outfit today. And I'm like, Did you, I have a sway, I have a velvet camo jacket I'm going to wear. Is that not creative <laughs> enough for you? But uh, yeah, that was, a, that was one either you loved or you hated. I'm not have- trying to look good so people know. I'm not I'm not like making a conscious effort to look good. It's the crazier it looks, the better. It's not like I'm like, oh, this would match this and this would match that. So you're kind of like the Craig Sager of hockey. Yes. Okay. But I mean, I get, listen, 82 games, you guys watch enough hockey. There's only so many times I can say get pucks in traffic to the net. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you got to be kind of entertaining, don't you? Yeah. Do you have any good outfits coming up? Um, No, I was uh, may or may not have been told to tone it down a little bit. Oh really? no, you got in trouble. Yeah. That sucks. Are you going to just do it anyway, though? Mm, I think I'm going with the opposite. I might just go with the um, wow. white shirt, black tie tonight. What What happens, though, if they're, in, what happens if they're in a slump and it comes so down to boring. you need to wear it? That's a great question. I don't know. It's not up to me. Wow. No longer in control of the office. The suits. This is why they call them the suits. Because yeah. they have those boring that's little, ass that's suits. That's a little on. You They like have the power. You well, like you know what? It was The fans like it. And if the fans want to do it, I mean, it, any way to get people to actually tune into. The post game or the pregame, I, I mean, I'm not afraid to make a fool out of myself. Well, of course, especially because it was popular on social media. People either, like you said, loved it or hated it. And usually, when that's that dichotomy, people tune in anyway. You know, you tune in to see, you know, how ugly they think it's going to be or how cool they think it's going to be. But regardless, they're tuning in. So if you're bringing eyes to the screen, listen, I'm obviously. Uh, <laughs> you're, a little, not, you're a little biased. <laughs> but it's okay. 
can you tell me this Bill Guerin story of you peeing in the shower that I read recently? Because I want to hear it from a uh, firsthand experience. Yeah, well, I think a lot of guys just, I mean, if you've ever been in, it's a little bit different than a uh, baseball locker room. I got a chance to be in a, a clubhouse uh, quite a bit. And, and the NHL locker room is its own thing. I mean, this is like a lot of nudity, guys doing all sorts of crazy things in the locker room. I'll never forget, like I used to, if no one was in the shower, I'd I'd actually go into the training room with shampoo and I would sit there in the training room and shower. Cause I was, <laughs> I'd tell guys I was just lonely being in the shower by myself. But I was in the shower and Bill Guerin was the captain of the team and I, I walked into the shower and started peeing in the shower. And he looked at me, he goes, what the hell are you doing? I said, peeing in the shower. He said, we don't pee in the shower in the NHL. Don't ever let me catch you peeing in the shower in the NHL ever again. So at that point, you listen to what the captain says and now... No more peeing in the shower in the NHL. Oh my gosh. I know people that pee in the shower all the time, and that may or may not include myself. It's supposed to be sterile, isn't it? Yeah. You're supposed to be so able patches to pee of in the hand says. That's what I learned from dodgeball. So. Yeah, Patches yeah. of hand says it. But at home, you'll pee in the shower. Yes. Okay, you're not scared to... You no. don't think he's going to like come out of the closet and tell you not to be <laughs> no, traumatized. But, but I think I may have passed on the message to everyone else. I'm, I'm a big fan of shower shoes. You need to wear shower shoes. Yes, that I'm Grosses a fan me of. Out. Yeah. So you then now have taken on the Garen role, and now you tell everyone else no peeing in the no shower. No peeing in the shower, yeah. Interesting. Unless you're at home by yourself. Well, of course, yeah. but it's just funny that you were doing it originally, then someone yelled at you for it, so you're like, I'm going to yell at everyone else now for I it. Now I pass on the message, yeah. Yeah, so you're the enforcer. All right. now, let me ask you a question. So yes. I'm watching the Mets game last night. Bring your dog to the ballpark, right? Yeah, yeah bark in the park. Yeah. It's now, a little weird to me. All right, I'm glad you said okay. that. So I have a dog. I had an English bulldog who passed away, and now I have a poodle. This is what I don't understand. So I'm watching the game, and there's dogs actually sitting in their own seat. Now, the question is this, is do people actually wipe the dog's butt after it goes to the bathroom? The answer what? is probably no, correct? Yeah. Now, if you, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you're talking to me. Went to the bathroom. Yeah. Took a dump. Right. Came back with no pants on. <laughs> this and, is already weird, sat let's your, keep going. And sat your bare ass on the seat. I think people would have a problem. Would they not? Yeah. Of course, but here's the explanation. At least at City Field, I know it's different for every ballpark, but at least at City Field, the dogs are in a specific area, only up on the Coca-Cola corner, where they stay there and they have little areas where they can go to the bathroom and they can sit in the chairs. And then after the game, when everyone leaves, they sterilize the entire section. They do? Yes. All right, now this is the question. I know you have dogs. I have a dog named Bear. Bear, do you let Bear sleep in bed with you? Yes. Do you wipe? He's their- a filthy, disgusting <laughs> animal, and but we still let him sleep in bed with me. He's yeah. a baby. So growing up, my dad was very much of the same mindset of you. No dogs in the bed. In fact, our dogs had to stay in the kitchen, and we gated it until they learned to stay in the kitchen, until the point where when we removed the gate, there was nothing there, kind of like an invisible fence. They would not cross over from the kitchen into anywhere else in the room. They were very well trained. Bear runs around the house like he is king of the castle. He does not give a shit. Your dad's like Caesar Milano. I kind of like it. Yeah, my dad's amazing. Yeah, he's a dog whisperer. Yeah. Well, he's also, he, he draws boundaries where dogs can and cannot go in the house and makes fun of me all the time. Bear literally snuggles up and sleeps right next to me. Yeah, I, Your dog's I not allowed in the bed? No, it grosses me out. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. kind of gross. I, listen, well, I- Because I think about it like this way. So if the dog goes outside to go to the bathroom, right? Yeah. Like, you don't know, no one I know, except my wife who's crazy out of her mind, wipes the dog's feet off or washes the dog's feet, right? So when was the last time you walked around your yard- barefoot, and then just jumped into bed. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, like, I wouldn't do that on the sidewalks of New York, but the dog does it, of course. Exactly. I understand yeah. what you're saying. No, I, like, I get it completely, but I grew up with dogs. I had at least two dogs in the house since I was three years old. They always sleep, either in my bed, you know, parents. Like, it didn't matter. I, I hear what you're saying, and I get it, but, you know, 
But it's if not you, that weird to me. But if you saw a bear, he's the cuddliest dog ever. And he's you pretty adorable. And you could not have him in bed with you to snuggle with. He's pretty adorable. In fact, Peter just sent me an article yesterday saying, your dog hates when you hug it. And I was like, mm, next. <laughs> he's like, no, you have to read this article. Bear is really threatened by the fact that we hug him because it means he can't run away in his natural instinct. And I was like, meh. He's also in a tiny apartment. There's, there's no running away for him anyway. But I think it's just instinctual that they want to be able to leave whenever they can. Yeah. And I've literally got him like strapped in. You're a helicopter parent. Yeah. That's why you buy a dog. Well, that's the whole point. I rescued this damn thing. He is now going to save my life by keeping me as comfortable as I possibly want him to keep me. Now, does it affect the love life, though, that he's in bed with you guys? Uh, He sleeps. Peter and I sleep next to each other, and then he sleeps on the outside of of either of us. But, you know, my aunt said that to me, too. Is this a common thing, that dogs ruin sex lives? I've never heard of this before. Well, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that get uncomfortable, like, if you're initiating some sexy time and the dog is watching you have sexy time. Yeah, no, the dog is not. He's in his cage or out of the (laughs) room. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Get out. But, this, but it happens, too, that, you know, the dog's Bear, licking. it's time. <laughs> Bye. Bye, see ya. All right, Kyle says get out. Uh, let's go uh, to the NHL, the other teams. Actually, I just really want to talk about my caps. Of course you do. What's going to happen with my Capitals taking on the Penguins? It's a great question. I mean, this is going to be a great series. I, I think it's funny because a lot of people before the uh, playoffs started said it's Washington coming out of the East, and then they'll face whoever's in the West. And now, as well as Pittsburgh's played, Malkin's back. He's He seems healthy, and, and I think the... The way most people have explained Pittsburgh is that eventually their goaltending is going to catch up to them. If Marc-Andre Fleury can't come back from the concussion, that they're going to eventually um, fall victim to the fact that they have a young goalie in net now, Matt Murray. But the way Matt Murray played against the Rangers, I don't know if it's because the Rangers just offensively... They were very, very bad. They were very bad. And defensively, they were very bad. Everything about the Rangers in that last series was bad. But you know what? This is why I like the Washington Capitals a lot in... We'll be interested to see if Brooks Orpik comes back because I think that's a big loss for you guys if he doesn't. Yeah. Is the versatility of how they can play. I mean, Alexander Ovechkin, for my money, is probably the most exciting player to watch in the NHL and probably the most consistent. He brings it every night, physical, can score goals. Is that they can win all different ways. Like if they need to play tough and physical, they can play tough and physical. If they have to play fast, skill kind of game, they can do that. And Braden Hope, I mean, you're talking about a team that probably has. I mean, maybe the MVP of the league and definitely the Vesna Trophy winner in Holpe. So, I mean, they've been my pick all along to come out, but that's going to be, in my opinion, probably one of the best series of the playoffs. So since you like Ovechkin so much, if you had to start a franchise today, would you pick Ovechkin to build the team around rather than Sidney Crosby? Yeah. Okay. But the beauty, of the, this is another one. The beauty of this, this series is, and, and you know you watch enough hockey, is that Ovechkin and Crosby don't like each other no. at all. Like, they don't I like each it. other at all. I don't know many all. people who do like Crosby in the NHL. Well, I mean, Crosby's just got one of those faces, right? Like, he yeah. always looks like he's in a bad mood. He's always bitchy. Oh, you he know? always complains. It's yeah, just when, the you're, worst. when you're that good, like, why always complain? But, I mean, he's one of the best in the business. But Ovechkin purposely will be really physical with him. If Ovechkin doesn't win a Stanley Cup, will it be one of the most disappointing NHL careers ever? I, don't, I wouldn't say that. I, I mean, hockey's one of those sports where it's so hard. Uh, everything has to go right. You have to avoid injuries. Um, he's a Hall of Famer. Right now, he's probably a Hall of Famer. This, he could retire today and be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a funny uh, argument because it's the same stuff we're talking about with Henrik Lundqvist, right? Like Henrik Lundqvist, in order to put himself up with Mike Richter, he'll hold every record, but if he doesn't win a Stanley Cup, you know in New York, it'll be held against him that he doesn't win a Stanley Cup. And, I mean, his team isn't that good. Um, no, I wouldn't say it's the biggest disappointment. I mean, he's had a tremendous career. It takes it takes a lot. I mean, Barry Trotz is a great coach, and he hasn't been out of the second round of the playoffs either. So I wouldn't call it a disappointment, but I'm sure he would say it was a disappointment. What does the NHL have to do to get people to pay attention? Because it's going to be very hard to pull eyes off of the NFL. And I guess NBA, because that's the second most important sport. But, you know, you could rival baseball for sure. 
But hockey just seems to not really be one of, you know, it's not one of the big three sports financially. What does hockey have to do in order to get people to, to watch? I think they need to do a better job of selling American-born players. The game sells itself in Canada and in Europe. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of really good U.S.-born players. I think the problem with hockey is that, I mean, you see it in basketball. It's all about the stars. It's about LeBron James. It's about Kevin Durant, all these guys. It's about their clothing. It's about their cars, their style. It's it's turned into kind of a me sport in hockey. It's there's no me. It's all about the team. It's all so guys aren't going to say anything really inflammatory. Guys aren't going to make it about themselves. And that was one of the problems they struggled with a long time. Is like the best players, like I know for a fact, like they're trying to get Joe Sackick back in the day to be more of a celebrity. He's like, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do all that stuff. I don't want to make it about me. So I think that's hard. And I think the fact that it's an expensive sport to play, mm-hmm. not everyone can just go pick up a pair of skates and go play hockey. So you don't really, until you go watch a game and realize what's going on and how fast it is and in the athleticism, it's tough to relate to. I yeah. mean, you can pick up a basketball, go shoot a basketball, go play whatever you want to play otherwise. But hockey's a tough sport. It's a lot of, it's, I mean, I thank my parents every single day of my life because without them, I mean, without parents with hockey, 5 a.m., traveling everywhere, all that equipment is so expensive. So I think that's probably the hardest thing to uh, get over. But I feel like the demo of kids watching sports now is trending younger. And social media has become such a huge part of what everyone's doing in their daily lives. Is there any way that they can take advantage of social media somehow? You know what? I think that, you know, I go to a lot of baseball games and you see the kids sitting there on their iPads and phones. and They're not watching the game. I mean, they're for the experience, the hot dogs, the candy, the popcorn, all that stuff. I think if you get your kid to a game... The in-game host. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, every time, for sure. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the more accessible NHL can make its players, the better. I, I think anytime you can have a group of kids meet an athlete, you have fans for life. Mm-hmm. The hard part is to get people to the games, to get people to actually go to hockey games. And I mean, once you go, you guys have been to games. It's, there's no other sport that's faster or up paced. There's a lot going on. I mean, baseball is dealing with the same thing because baseball, let's face it, is just is dying because it takes too long. There's not enough action. Your best players aren't involved. Every single play. And I think that's one of the things that hockey struggles with, too, is the fact that your star players are out there for, if you're lucky, 20 minutes a game. Yeah. I think it's also hard because it doesn't translate as well on TV. It doesn't, no. And that's a tough thing. If you haven't watched hockey and grown up watching hockey your whole life, following the puck is kind of what you know, you're know you used to doing. And if you kind of get lost, you're screwed and well, you don't what understand. Else do, I mean, we'll always have conversations. Right? Like, who are the best athletes? And everyone always says LeBron James is one of the best athletes. He's a football player. Because I don't think you can relate to the fact that these guys are doing things on skates like you have to skate right like so you never hear a hockey player is one of the best athletes but in actuality the fact that you're doing all this stuff on skates should make you at the top of that list of some of the best athletes but you never hear about a hockey player being the best athlete did you grow up wanting to be a hockey player that was your goal like that was your dream i was really good at it so i think that was kind of what pushed the dream i always wanted to be a baseball player if i could if i could be a baseball player i probably would have been a baseball player for the mets I would have loved that i'm a mets fan because of that mike piazza invited me to take bp back in 2000 and then from that day on mets Everything. Did you hit any home runs? I did. Really? How many? Out of Shea. Um, I hit, I hit a couple, uh, probably three or four. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome. Did you go get those balls or someone else has those? Um, no, I didn't even get them. I was just trying to like pretend like it was no big deal. But inside, but like, inside, inside, I was like, freaking I out. I can't believe I didn't go find those. That was awesome. <laughs> I got, he, made, he hooked it up, man. I had like full gear, uh, bat, batting gloves, cleats, batted with the starting lineup. Bobby Valentine like critiqued my my work in the cage. It was unbelievable. You said you're close to Matt Harvey. Is he your best friend in the sports world in New York? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we hang out quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say that, um, as far as New York athletes are concerned, he's probably one of my closer friends, um, you know, close with a bunch of the Islanders guys. But it was one of the things that I missed the most. Um, you know, with the Rangers, you're in the city, so you're kind of more tied into all the other teams. We're the only team in Long Island, so there wasn't really that kind of like 
camaraderie between different different sports. You know, like in Philly, like I knew all the Flyers guys were friends with the Eagles guys, with the Sixers guys. In Long Island, you're kind of like just doing your own thing. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we were t- taking a few Twitter questions, um, and Brian wanted to know if you think the Islanders will ever move back to Long Island, and how weird is it that they play at the Barclays Center? It's a little weird. Um, yeah. Every time you drive by the Coliseum now, it's kind of an empty feeling just because it wasn't it was a dump. I mean, let's face it. It was oh, a dump. Okay. I mean, I'll never forget. Like we, really bad. Oh, it was yeah. so bad. No, dude, I'm telling you, I would I would have to chase roaches, roaches with a, a blowtorch, like off my equipment. Like we came home one road <laughs> trip and they're like, oh, by the way, the locker room's closed. And we're like, why? Well, all the uh, all the pipes broke and there's three feet of shit in the locker room. And we're like, <laughs> so what are we going to do? Just vacuum that up? Yeah, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, but there's no better place to play. Like seriously, like you would sit down in the locker room during a Rangers game and you, the place, you could feel it shake. And you get out there, and the crowd was all on top of you. It was it was a tremendous place to play, and this is it's more of a commute, I think, than anything, because it's a nice building. Mm-hmm. It's probably not it's definitely not built for hockey, acoustically speaking. It's not as loud as the Coliseum, but it's getting there, man. I mean, people have officially bought in now that they've got past the first round of the playoffs. I think. Is it weird to see hockey there? Because I heard it's not a, a arena designed for hockey. Well, no, the scoreboard is off center, mm-hmm. and then behind the Islanders' net, um, it hangs over the net, so. From where we do the MSG broadcast, you can't see the goal. Right. So I think there's like almost 5,000 obstructed view seats. But, I mean, when the team's winning, no one really no right. one really matters. Yeah, I guess that's true. that much. Barry on Twitter was asking what you thought of Bagel Master across the street from the Syasset LIRR. Delicious. Best bagels in Long Island. Really? Everything flagel, little uh, tuna fish salad on that. Perfect. Okay. The best bagels are on Long Island, though. Like, I mean, I've been here in the city for five years now, and I grew up on Long Island. The bagels out on Long Island are just There's something special. Better. Yeah, they're just Sunday better. fun day. Yeah. We usually go Sunday fun day. You got a nice everything flagel. It's a flagel? It's a thin bagel. Oh, okay. So rather than scoop out the middle, it's just like more of a less less inside, more like crusty. Okay. little oh, chicken like salad. Oh, chicken salad on a bagel is the best. Awesome. And do you go, go to Bagel Master? You go all the way out to Bagel Master? Oh, yeah. It's not far from my house. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, Barry, there you go. Now that you have this broadcast career, when you were playing as you know an Islander, did you ever think that you were going to become a broadcaster? Did any of that ever figure out, figure into your mind? No, I, I think it's something that people always said I would, I could do because I can. Like I said, I I enjoy talking quite a bit. But um, no, I always thought that I would transition. I mean, perfect world, it would have been Stanley Cup number gets retired, and then I find a job with the team, either coaching or. Doing something in the front office that didn't necessarily work out, obviously. And uh, no, I mean, I couldn't have asked. The craziest part is, is that I'm sitting there driving, listening to Alan. I texted him. We started talking a little bit, and I looked at my wife and I said, "Could you imagine if I had a radio show? How cool that would be!" And then, boom! All of a sudden, I had a radio show. It was I still can't believe it. How do you think you're doing so far on the show? Uh, I think we're doing all right. I mean, it's definitely uh, you got to get into a rhythm. I mean, I think the hardest part is trying to for five days a week come up with a. I don't think it always has to be a unique perspective, but it has to be something where you're driving calls. I think that you have to, you know, you have to initiate people to call in. You have to be either they love your point so much they have to call to agree with you or they absolutely despise your point to the point where they have to call in. And I think that's actually one of the the things your husband does really well is that he knows how to play to that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time, some of the stuff he says, you can... He's he doesn't really I don't even know if he believes it, but it's like he's so good at doing it that it just gets people like even gets Don like fired up, which works perfectly for the radio. And Tell me more about how awesome my husband is, please. <laughs> no, he really does. I mean, he really knows the business. He does a really good job. And yeah. the best part of your husband is when I do verbally assault him. Is yeah, what's your guy's beef? There's no beef. He just can take a joke really well. So it's funny. I mean, and I'm running out of stuff to say to him, but it is like when he'll say stuff. 
I can think of myself in my I'm like, oh, this would be funny to say. And he just either it's good and he laughs or he says it's not good, but he takes it really well. A lot of it's fat jokes, Kyle, if you can believe that. Fat and short. I mean, fat and short. That's his favorite thing to talk about with Peter. Well, because he can't criticize his on-air abilities, because like you said. They're good. He's, right. He's good. And I don't I mean, I guess you could make fun of him for not ever having been a hockey player if you wanted to go down No, there, I would right? never that's not he's not an athlete. I said he'd be a good jockey. Yikes! <laughs> No, you cannot fire shots about my husband on my podcast. It's kind of funny, though. We're, we're getting, like, full cross-promotion going on right now, so. Um, how about Afternoon Delight? Because this new thing that you started called Afternoon Delight, which is kind of a little break-off segment that he does, sounds a little similar to ENN. Very similar. Yeah, very similar. Okay. And um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. That, was, uh, that wasn't originally my idea. That was something that was told would be a nice feature in a show kind of similar to an ENN. Uh-huh. Um, we named it Afternoon Delights obviously because it's in the afternoon, but it just gave an opportunity to kind of bring up some crazier stories going on. And I like the fact that, I mean, it does, it's like the halftime of the show, you know? Like you can't do three straight hours of just the same four things over and over again. So yeah, it's very similar to ENN, mm-hmm. maybe with a little bit of different of a flavor. Yeah. I mean, I like your guys' show a lot. Um, the Afternoon Delight has a little bit to live up to considering it's uh, it's modeling after. Well, it's not the first of its kind, so yeah, it's got a lot of competition. Yeah, just a bit. Uh, But it's good, But and I like that that you guys uh, now are going on to TV. How do you feel about that? It'll be interesting. Um, We're looking forward to it. It definitely uh, changes the game for us a little bit. Um, It's going to be a best of show at 7. We're going to do it Monday through Thursday, see how that works out, but I think our show is, and and Alan always yells at me because I'll do stuff off the, like, not on the microphone, either what I do with shaking my head or some of the stuff I do dancing or other things. He's like, they're on radio. You can't see it. They can't see you. Right, right. So we think it would be better. I mean, it would, some of the stuff we do would be funnier on television. We'll see how it works out. It'll translate good. I hope so. Ultimate career goal um, in broadcasting. In broadcasting. Uh, I, I have no idea, really. I, I Like I said, I'm still not, uh, it still hasn't sunk in that I actually have a radio show now. Mm-hmm. So I think really the focus is just making sure I make we make this radio show as good as it possibly can, and then whatever happens from there happens. And how about when you look back at your Islanders career, where do you feel like you fit in their history? Where do I fit in their history? I feel like, um, I feel a lot of regret. I feel like um, I didn't necessarily live up to all the things that I expected and hoped to accomplish. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of sadness attached with, with how it ended and, and how it turned out. I mean, there were some good times. There were some really good times, but I think I was a couple years away from, being a part of what's going on right now. And that's really what is not frustrating. It's more of a um, disappointment that that didn't happen. But is it, but is it bittersweet to be covering the team and being involved in the team now, or is it all amazing and, and a good time? Um, it, I, I wouldn't say bittersweet. I mean, I'm really happy for those guys. They were all young guys when they came in and we were all together. And something they always talk about is the fact that they, they've been to the bottom. And I always, I'm dead serious when I say this. It's for any professional athlete. It's always great to kind of hit rock bottom to reassess what's going on, and you're not taking for granted everything that you have or been given. So, um, no, I mean I'm more than happy for what's going on now, and it, and it's great that now I have something to do with the team. So, it, it's more of me now being able to rather than not turn the TV on to watch because it's it's hard to watch. Now I'm I'm kind of invested in it, which is nice. That's good. How do the how do the fans treat you? Because you're on Long Island. And I know you mentioned before you have Rangers fans who've come up to you and been like, I hated you as a player, which I did too. But <laughs> on the radio, they like you now. And like, I assume Devils fans might give you a little bit because of all those rivalries. But how are like the Islanders fans to you? The Islanders fans are absolutely amazing. I mean, when I go to cover games, we sit up uh, at the MSG set and there's lots of love, lots of pictures, lots of, you know, uh, just adoration for this team. But also, I think when you retire, especially in New York, I think people start to kind of 
look over what you what you achieved in your career or how things happened and you kind of more more often get the benefit of the doubt like oh we feel bad that you were hurt and we know that you wanted to be really good for you for this team it wasn't about the money and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that now I'm covering the team so they can tell that it was just about being an Islander like I love the team I, I always will be an Islander and I think they respect that and, and I think they respect the fact that I made the commitment to the Islanders not for the money. It was because I wanted. I just it was all about just being an Islander and winning a Stanley Cup. And how about the future of the Islanders? Because John Tavares nine points in that opening playoff series versus the Panthers. Where does he rank all time among Islanders captains for you? All time Islanders captains. Um, he's one of the best players in the NHL. I'll start by saying that. Okay. Um, but when you look at and a lot of people forget how good the Islanders were. You're talking about probably the best the best team to ever play professional sports. I mean, you're talking about a team that probably should have won five straight championships. They went to, they won 19 playoff series. I mean, it's Mike Bossy, it's Clark Gillies, Bobby Nystrom, Denny Podfin, Billy Smith. So, I mean, the list is, it's like being on the Yankees, really. And we had a long drought of being really bad. Mm-hmm. But we're back now to uh, where we can sustain winning for a little bit. But John Tavares is well on his way to the Hall of Fame. Great. We end every podcast, Rick, with an embarrassing story. Ooh. So you got to dig deep into your archives and find something that either in your career or in your personal life, something that was embarrassing. Guys tell crude stories. Guys tell um, super interesting, funny stories about women or about shitting on planes or lots, whatever. Lots of shit on La- the show. I know. The, a lot of the, shit. The poop stories are out yeah. of control. Anything uh, interesting that you have to share with us? I have so many. Yes. So many. Um, all right. I'll give you two. First being, this isn't a great one. This is like the 1B, maybe a 2, is... Uh, this is a hockey story. I'll give you a career story, and then I'll give you just a regular story. So I get, I finally came back from an injury or whatever it was. First star of the game, I come out, supposed to give a puck to the crowd, helmets off, puck to the crowd. The ice girl at the Coliseum has a big giant flag. Little did I realize that she was sweeping the flag at my feet, and of course, I'm skating out to get my, my victory lap, and I stepped on the flag oh. and ate shit, and my helmet fell off. And then for some reason, I was in the middle of the flag still. So, but she was still waving the flag as I'm standing on the flag and I couldn't get off the freaking flag. So I'm sitting there like trying not to fall down a second time and everyone's just laughing at me and just <laughs> ruined the whole moment. That was the first one. I think the worst one of all time is when I had my hip surgery done, they didn't tell me that it would affect the nerve leading to my bladder. So I wouldn't really necessarily know I had to pee until it was like, if I'm not near a toilet, like I'm just going wherever. So I'm in the car. Just got a brand new Range Rover. It was like my dream car. I finally got it. My wife and I are in the car. We're going to Whole Foods because she needs to pick something up for dinner. Whole Foods is a big, giant parking lot. And I'm like, all right, you go in. She's only going to be a couple minutes. I'll I'll go to the back of the parking lot, kind of park so I can see you, make a couple phone calls. We'll be good. Two minutes into being parked, I'm like, oh, my God. I have to. I'm going to pee my pants right now. And I'm like, all right, how do I do this? So I'm like, I got to drive to the door, park right there, run through Whole Foods. But the bathroom's all the way on the other side of the Whole Foods. Midway through the two seconds I'm driving, I'm like, there's no way I make it. Like, I'm going to pee on the floor in Whole Foods. I can't do this. So I look to my left, and I'm like, all right, the parking lot, it's a little dark over there. I'll go pull over there. So I pull over, skidding tires, throw the door open. As I'm jumping out of the car, start taking my pants off. I'm just in the middle of the parking lot, and I'm giving it the, like that. And like, this feels so good. And I look over, and I'm like, where the hell did the Range Rover go? I don't put the Range Rover in park. It's driving up the hill through the bushes by itself. So now I have my pants down my ankles and I have to chase the Range Rover up the hill. I finally, as I'm peeing still, I couldn't stop. You can't stop once you started. So I finally get to the Range Rover. I jump in, ass naked, park it. I actually had to back it up off the hill, parked it, pulled my pants up, 
pants were soaked. Get in the car, pull up in front of the. My wife calls me. Where the hell are you? I pull up, pick her up. She looked at me. She could tell that I was flustered. Looked at the car. There was tree branches all over the car. <laughs> and she's like, "What the? What did you do?" And she looked down. She goes, "You pissed yourself, didn't you?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, I did." And the car drove off without me. That's Thanks awesome. for asking. And that was it. That's awesome. You have a history with cars. You re- recently rented a car out in California yeah. with a bunch of your buddies. I did. I rented a uh, Rolls Royce Phantom. That was a couple years. That was when I was still playing, and I almost crashed it. How did you crash it? I didn't or crash almost. it. I almost, almost crashed, crashed it. Crashed. Okay. We went to, uh, I kind of felt like a douche, too, because we pulled up at In-N-Out Burger in a Phantom. and Because um, I got a Phantom because I wanted a bigger car so all the guys could enjoy it. Uh-huh. And, of course, the second we pulled out of the parking lot, one of the guys decided to take his dump his drink all over the inside of the car <laughs> accidentally. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Perfect. I'll have to pay for that. And as we're driving my one buddy, I go, stop acting like a fucking tourist, would you? Because he had the map out. And I'm kind of like yelling at him, not realizing that there was a the lane turns into like a where cars park. So I'm going like 55 miles an hour down the street and yelling at him. And as I pull up, the car's not moving in front of me, and I had to slam on the brakes and swerve. And luckily, like the car right next to me just flew past me, and I was like, "Dude, like we just I almost just wrecked a Phantom. Are you oh kidding me God. right now?" So needless to say, we don't rent cars like that ever again. Don't rent them again. Never. Okay. Uh, story time with Rick DiPietro, probably uh, one of the best parts of the podcast. Fans, you can listen to Han and Humpty weekdays from 12 to 3 on 98.7 ESPN Radio. Rick, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. Thanks really for having appreciate me. It. Really appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, and make great. sure you're nice to my husband. Of course, always. Okay, great. <laughs> Kyle, thank you. And Lance, thank you very much, and let's go get a snack.